0: Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen.
1: The title of the book, The Box in the Corner, A Confrontation of Truth. And the author is David Sedring, and David joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, David. Hey, hello there. How are you? <laughs> well, i feeling feeling... Uh... Kind of hopeful today, but in some ways, after reading some of your book, it drags me into real sobering reality. But at the same time, there is hope even at the end of your book. So I guess we'll come full circle in today's discussion. (laughs) (laughs) Let me read what you've written about your book. Rex and Amy lived a peaceful life in the little town of Elk Valley, raising their two children to be moral, upright citizens in a world... On the verge of war, Elk Valley was an idyllic place, far from the violence of big cities and troubled politics. Yet, even in the quietest of worlds, war can bloom. One morning, Rex woke with a strange sense of foreboding. Something was not right in his peaceful world. And on that fateful day, bombs fell on Elk Valley. Whoa. That is uh, obviously too close to uh, what could happen, I guess. that We could, you know, often fiction is reality. Yes,
2: it, it really is. And I think a lot of it does come from reality. Um, maybe not as adverse as bombs falling on you, but uh, nobody knows what our reality is going to be tomorrow.
1: Well, right, especially in today's world with so much uh, talk of war and wars going on, as they say, wars and rumors of wars. Now, David, what was the motivation to write this uh, this kind of
3: plot?
2: Well, really the motivation was the blindness and the deafness that we have in society these days about stuff like this. It's uh, We've never... Well, since the Civil War, we haven't had a war here on our ground, our soil. And I don't think, you know, from talking to a lot of people in public, I don't think that we have the, the kind of backbone that America used to have to survive such a thing. And I pretty much based everything on that, and that's why it's the aftermath of war. It's not during it's not the beginning; it's the aftermath of war that we have to survive in this land. Um, a town being just decimated, and you're the only one that's actually standing there looking at it, all wondering where your family went and friends and neighbors.
1: So in this it's, case, uh, it's
2: a grisly thing to look at. It is. Yeah. And understand.
1: It's more than really to comprehend for uh, just most of us. We're just. Thinking everything is rolling along in the United States. Oh yes, we've got some problems, but you know this is America. Everything will work out, right?
2: Right. I asked a friend one time. I said, "Does anything bother you?" And he says, "No, it's all cool."
1: Yeah.
2: Um, well, that's that's until you know the axe falls, or
1: well, then it's hard to understand that, especially since nine eleven. I mean, it's been proven that uh, we are vulnerable,
2: very vulnerable. In fact, we can't even tell how many people that really want to destroy this country are in our country. So, right. yeah, you know, our ability is a, you know, it's a loaded word.
1: Yeah, our southern border, even with a lot of federal uh, border agents there, it's still, you know, it's still an open door. Uh, Very open. Yes. And, of course, Very open. Canada is wide open.
2: <laughs> they can come through <laughs> Canada. So. Yeah, it is. You know, they've been good neighbors for so long. <laughs> That's that right. You know, when we're talking about a world like today, it's, you know, who do you trust? Right. And, um, you know, if they prove that they can just allow anybody over the border, then trust kind of gets put on the back burner. It's, um, it's more or less a, a defensive measure to guard that border, um, good neighbors or not.
1: So Rex, your main character, uh, has lost everything. He's lost his home, his wife, his daughter, his son. uh, Everything is gone. And how do you emotionally, spiritually, psychologically deal with it all, right? Is that where you're taking us with Rex? Pretty much. um, You know, when you—and I've
2: been through this to a degree, not the war part of it. When you lose everything— you get very angry. Um, depression, I don't even think, enters it. I think you get very angry first and then depression, and that's basically where he goes. And when you put it into a, a idea where there's soldiers from some army, any army, um, fear will enter it, and the bloodshed that's around you at that point is what drives you thinking, and, you know, he's looking at the destruction, the dismantling of his hometown. Um, he's looking at neighbors' bodies just laying there, dead. Um, so, you know, he's, he's wishing and hoping that, you know, the next bomb that comes down lands on him, um, which is what I think any of us would want. I don't think we'd want to be sticking around if, if everybody that we loved is gone.
4: Right.
2: After holding your daughter when she dies, you know, it's, it's not a pretty sight and it's not a feeling that anybody wants is to hold the one that you love when she passes. Right. And it's, it's a very profound feeling and I know that feeling all too well.
1: And, of course, when death hits like this, uh, it's not over. You've got to dig graves for those folks. and, And just the pain must be just beyond comprehension, especially when you're probably the only one to do it.
2: Yeah, and in the book, he is basically the only one for a while until people start coming back to the reality that they have to survive this. Then, you know, he starts getting help. But he goes out and tries to help everybody that he can, but he's a he's a mechanic. He's not a doctor, so he's you know he's losing more than he's gaining there right. as far as helping people.
1: So he and blames that, God first, though, like most would have a hard time not uh, when such tragedy strikes.
2: Yeah, you don't know who to blame, and God's the only one there that you can blame. You know, he's he's the only one. You can't look at the people around you because who are you going to blame? So you reach out and you curse God. You shake your fist and. And then pretty soon it just starts coming together, and you're starting to see that,
1: you know, it wasn't God. It was man. Yeah. And that God is there for him. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He, uh, he comes in there. We can't say very much about this, but maybe you can uh, share a little about this box he finds in a warehouse.
2: The box is, you know, every has got the capability of having that box and I don't care who you are today you have that capability and it's called a memory and if you go back in your life or anybody does um, you'll see the things that you've done right done wrong all of that you go back into the history books and you remember what you've read and you can see the path that life has taken And that's basically what it is. But the only thing that's different between this is, you know, like you or I would have a memory of everything in our life, this is a memory of our country and our world. And it all gets shown there, um, good or bad. And we make the difference. It's just like in our own personal memories, we make the difference. You know, if we want a memory that we're a bank robber go out and rob banks but if we want a memory that we were faithful to our families or faithful to our neighbor then that's what we have to be and that's creating the memories that are in our memory boxes and this is basically what he sees out there he sees this huge box and goes and investigates and all that he has gone through is in that box and all of the atrocities of America or China, or you know, wherever is in that box, and he has to look at it, he has no choice, and it makes him sick because he has to live through it again, including the day the bombs fell.
1: And then he meets this homeless man that changes his life totally, Stanley. Yes, yeah,
2: Stanley, he uh. <clears throat> I patterned him after after a real real guy um, smart man, but he was homeless and uh, he uh, he probably knew more about life than that's going on today than probably a lot of people do in society um, but he he befriends him and uh, it's just kind of a, a little bit of a rapport that they get and then, you know, he just decides he's got to trust somebody. So, you know, come on, Stanley, I'll feed you and give you a place to wash up and rest. And, and so he takes them into his house and, and does that. But he comes out uh, after washing up and getting the dust off of him, he comes out, a um, kind of a different person. And I don't know if I should give that away or not. Um, <laughs>
1: Well, he, he becomes uh, yes, he becomes quite an inspiration, right? Yeah, he does.
2: Yeah, yeah he does. Um, he he definitely makes you know not that Rex was weak, need to begin with with bombs going off and losing his family, but uh, he definitely makes Rex kind of fall to his knees and but he brings a different light into his life. He uh, he kind of helps him to see that. You know there is a light at the end of the tunnel, and that there is hope, and all he has to do is keep faith and you know keep his sights clear on the on the good, and sooner or later it will come and He also has another little friend that comes in too, you know via Stanley um, that she she helps out quite a bit and there's there's kind of a son daughter you know, feeling there that, that this gal has with Rex and, you know, it kind of fills the void of losing his family.
1: So there is a light to help him come back to life and uh, find purpose in spite of this beyond comprehension tragedy.
2: Yeah. And, you know, I think that's, you know, in a, in a situation like that, you got to have purpose and, you know, if you're losing everybody around you because you can't take a wrench and a screwdriver and fix them, um, there's there's no real purpose going on there. And this this girl comes in and kind of gives him purpose, and and through it, you know, things calm down a little bit, and you know, Rex actually does have kind of a good life towards the end, and you know it's it's all brought on by Stanley and this girl it's just the the piece that they give him
1: one of your themes you say society's lack of a moral compass yeah
2: yeah we have a very strong lack of a moral compass these days very strong lack and the the one thing that really bothers me i think the most in today's world is that we pay no heed to the fact that we have lost our moral compass. We can turn on the news any time, any day, and see where you know we, we don't believe in God. <clears throat> we act out in crimes like the children who have been killed by parents. Um, we watch the politicians just play games with us, and the only thing we want is whatever the politicians can give us. And we don't want to defend our freedoms, you know, which affect our grandkids. Um, and then there's the the sex on TV and prime time. Prime time used to not have any of that stuff. And now it's all over the screen. Um, I watch um, some old shows every now and then, like The Rifleman. Um, and in those old shows, you used to see mention of biblical you see mention of uh you know treating your neighbor right and you don't see any of that so yeah we've lost our moral compass here
1: we just got a little bit of time left for some final thoughts uh a controversial aspect of your book you say is the truth
2: yes the truth is you know what we see um if you want to follow the propaganda or whatever, that's fine. You follow it. But, you know, if somebody speaks the truth, um, we tend to disregard that person. It's like, you know, tell your friend that you believe in God and see what happens. Um, when somebody speaks the truth, people tend to turn around and walk the other way. And sooner or later, they will have to confront it. Because the truth is truth. It's, it's going to come and haunt you. Um so you better believe it now, or you can deny it and believe it later. I'd but, rather believe it now.
1: The title of the book, The Box in the Corner, A Confrontation of Truth. And the author is David sadring David, tell us how to get your book. Um, you can go to davidsadringsbooks.com or
2: iUniverse. And uh, the website is, is there for anybody right now if they want to jump on there, and they can order books through there. And, and they can read a little bit about the book. And
1: spell your last name for everyone.
2: S-A-D-R-I-N-G. It's simple. It's just Sad Ring.
1: Sad Ring. David, Sad Ring book or books? Books. 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 Dot com. com. All right. Very good, David. Well, we appreciate you being with us on iUniverse Radio. Thank you. Well, thank you. You take care.
0: You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages.
5: Ready for the most current feel-good gossip? Then check out Daytime with Donna with your host, Donna Intercastle and sidekick Nina Fry every Friday afternoon at 2, 1 central on toginet.com. Donna is a charismatic, market-driven entrepreneur who was part of the team that founded iVillage.com, which is the largest content-driven community for women today. Donna and Nina are here to empower you, motivate you, and encourage you in all aspects of your life. It's like Oprah on the radio. Plus, your chance to win great prizes, all the way up to a $500 Visa gift card. For more on Donna and Picasso, check out her website, introinc.com. Then join us for the show, Daytime with Donna, with your host, Donna Intercastle, and sidekick Nina Fry, Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central, on toginet.com. Evermore, people have the means to live, but no meaning to live for. These are the words of Dr. Victor Frankel, the inspiration for the movie, Victor and I, that's V-I-K-T-O-R, and I, movie.com, and Talk Since Radio, The Meaning Connection, with host Mary similuka. And frequent contributor Alexander Vesley. Friday afternoons at 3 2 Central on Toginet.com. More and more people today are discarding their quest for money, possessions, and things, and are instead beginning a serious quest to find meaning in life.
0: To i Universe Radio with host Steve Jorgensen.
1: The title of the book: "God, the Realities of the Creator." Our creation is uh-huh. not a mysterious malfunction; it was planned by a supreme intelligence, and the author is William Morea. And William joins us now from Brazil, from Rio de Janeiro. Welcome, William.
6: Thank you, sir. It's my pleasure to be here.
1: You say this about your book, this labor of love inspired by the great canvas known as the universe explores the deep theological and philosophical questions that reside deep within our hearts. Who is God? What is God? How did the universe come to be? Well, those are big questions, William, and uh, you were motivated to do this. Uh, Tell us about that.
6: Well, uh... (laughs) all depends on which side of the rope you are, you know, because some people, the majority, they have it believed since they are children. Sometimes they pass from, from, from parents for generations what they should believe or not. I embraced religion. I read every religion book in the world. I'm a fast reader. I never go to bed, even one or two in the morning, and I sleep only a few hours, and uh, I want to know everything as much as I could. So the only way to do it is reading. is open the door to 360 degrees because the, the, the compass has 360 degrees while I fly my plane. So if you stay just one degree, just one direction, you're going to learn only what's on that direction. But if you go around in 360 degrees, you're going to know a little bit about everything. And if something called more attention, you're deep on that. So I see so much diversities reading, that uh, you could sometimes come to no conclusion, but I did. I looked at the marvelous life in this world, like when my daughter was killed 14 years ago in Times Square by a truck in an accident, because uh, the truck went on the sidewalk, because she had no, no brakes. So she was the only one that got killed. After that pain was gone, after 15 days, I heard a voice, her voice, saying, Papi, Life is beautiful, doesn't matter what, because we are God's children. So I sat down and started writing a book, 120 pages with that title. Life is beautiful, no matter what, because we are God's children. That means our pain is just momentary, because we live eternally. So 30, 40, 50, like she was 33 years in this planet, is like a second in our existence. So we have to learn. Everything we learn Stay with us. And the big question now, I hear often, like uh, 60% or, or 70% of the Chinese absolutely just don't believe in God. I have friends, great friends, that said, I can't believe. How can you tell me about God? This guy exists? Why pain? Why death? I said, listen, he created us and put us in a school. I consider earth a school for souls. Like he'll come to learn. And the pain, everything that goes wrong with is because we have to learn something. That's why you remember him. Third, look the infinite of the universe. Look at your nose. Everything is so perfect. How come nature uh, becomes so great, so intelligent by itself? Now, is it beginning somewhere? Now, are we going to know to see God? No. He can never show himself to us. Why? Because we are not going to even believe he's God. So we have to wait. More years pass by, more we learn, more we know, through pains, whatever. Then we start realizing the grandeur of our existence. God, when he created us, he took a little bit of atoms from here, from there, bingo. It's all in the book. And he says, gee. He's someone who's going to appreciate the marvelous of the creation. Now I have a family. Yeah, how did my family looks like physically? So after a while, he look in the mirror and said, gee, they are my kids, so they got to look like me. That's why the Bible says, and I agree 100%, we are a copy of our Creator. Five fingers, nose, ears, everything. Yeah, I call it reading the the 27 books of Thomas Paine is common sense. Who have a common sense? Who have everything to open our doors to wisdom. More we read, more we learn. So don't be afraid of reading. Reading is one blessing to ourselves. More we learn, more we can keep to us. More happy we become. And in any sequence, I cried 15 days straight when... My daughter was killed. Nobody couldn't believe it. I'm so spiritual. With my age, 65, when she died, how come I couldn't control myself? It's because the pain is given to us for a reason. Mm-hmm. On that pain I had, I sat down, I wrote another book. Just look on the Internet. Banzanova, whatever it's like. It's a poor consolation. Why? Reading, learning, Knowledge more we know, more knowledge we have. Especially when we go digging ourselves. in that's it. When I went to the Costa Concordia, I went to do feminine feet, I do precise like it. Perfect. Because I love to draw in paint since I was born. I have this talent. So after I make twenty five drawings on the day thirteen at night. The ship started becoming like a uh, rice shell in the ocean. We had a 90 miles and now a side winds against the ship. Everybody runs to the caverns. I went upstairs to the 13th deck. And that's when the book was born, Between Hell and Heaven. But I have the gristling of the galaxy illuminated in my papers. I had visions up there, including I saw the ship killed me to overturn. The next day I told the, the captain, watch for the 13th. He said I was a Brazilian nut to be quiet. Or the next part of call he was going to ship me back to Rio by airplane. <laughs> so I promised him to keep my mouth shut. That was twenty six months ago. So on the thirteenth of this year, January, the Costa Concordia sank. Tilting to the right. Okay? Now I thought in the beginning he had it's happening on the thirteenth, after wrote one year after I wrote the book, no. One year, after I wrote the book. 13 months later, comes to 25 months. This happened to the ship. When my uh, grandson is 24, called me up and say, Grandpa. What's the concord is sank uh, on the 13, and everything you do in life is 13. So I said, you are kidding. So I opened the internet. I look at them. Next day, was all over the world. You know, it's, it's still a big thing. You know, make the tit- Titanic history a uh, just a uh, a small tragedy compared to what could have happened if uh, Concord had sunk in deeper water. And uh, even I wrote something because I'm going to be in Las Vegas being interviewed by some producers of Hollywood. So I wrote a little pitch about the 13th. Could I read it? Please. Okay. God, the reality of the creator, was born December 13, 2009. Next day, I told the captain I had a vision of the cruiser tilting to the right and sinking. He said I was a Brazilian nut. Concordia sank 25 months later, on the 13th month after the book birthday. Also, that was in the 13th, and the ship went down on the 13th of this January. Is there going to be a part of ashes? See the movie poster by the author. I made a poster. I put a uh, Rio de Janeiro is considered God's postcard. A, a night picture uh, behind the, the, the Christ with open arms is a 95-feet statue with white stones visible for at least 50 miles away on the top of 2,200 feet rock right in the middle of Rio de Janeiro. Then comes the day. Then comes the sugar roof. It's a 1,500-feet rock where you can go by air cables. It's an incredible view. So I put the last explosion, atomic explosion in the Pacific, but have a huge ring uh, right in the middle of the bay. And I have uh, saying the 11 commandments, to deal with the complexities of a changing world for worse. Atoms destroy the body, and... Uh, I can tell the body. Oh my God, i forgot what I wrote on. And that, I mean, morality condemns the soul. See this movie today, because there's still hope before we become a part of fascism.
2: Mm-hmm.
6: Now, these posters, anybody look at, it, scream and say, "Oh my God, I gotta see this movie." God has mercy on us. So I have a great idea to make it the biggest movie ever. I can guarantee it. Because in my 78 years, seeing everything in this world, analyzing everything, watching everything closely, as uh, we have now 25,000 atomic bombs, one explosion will be enough to destroy the planet if a few Because the fall is going to go around, they, they know that. So when the Brazilian president, Mrs. Dilma, was six months ago on the UN in New York, first thing she said that, we know we have enough atomic bombs to destroy the Earth one thousand times, and we just need one to officially destroy it. Why are you going to wait for tomorrow to, you know, to put everything together and finish the, the atomic and use for energy? Nobody said one word. Nobody moved one, one muscle. That's me. The cracks here. Okay, everybody's afraid of a uh, huge wave. Uh, earthquakely, and uh, it's way maybe you could survive. But in atomic explosion, you're going to become just a part of ashes. There's no way out. So this, is also, this book is also a warning, okay? And that's my last warning, because 78, 79 is not a piece of cake. I have my luggage ready for when the Lord calls me up, of course. I just hope he holds his horse for a while because i got a lot of stuff to do yet. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, we have about uh, three minutes uh, for this interview. William, uh, you say we can and must follow the rules which are not unchangeable as we continue our path as soul or spirit. Now, give us some thoughts on that, and, and as we conclude our interview.
6: When God created the universe, everyone knows that. And you better believe it. Uh, he put rules in everything. He gave us the free will because we, we are not his hobos. So mercifully, see how, uh, how great he is. He let us do whatever we want. But we have rules for us in the society. You do something wrong, you go to jail, you suspend your license, this and that. So imagine, the rules of the universe are perfect. So he don't change those rules. He give us penalties for you to pay. Like we go to jail when we finish our our payment to society, they open the doors for us and give another chance. So God always will give every one of us eternally another chance. Okay? But we must pay the wrongness we do. That's the only way you're going to learn. Okay? If we don't pay anything for anything wrong we do, so we're never going to learn because we don't feel what you do to somebody is wrong. So the rules are here. Third, what's your question after that?
1: Yes, yes, very good. Uh, you also say this book is for the one seeking logics on life and not found logically anywhere. Of
6: course, uh, I go to churches. Uh, anybody church invites me, I go gradually. I listen and I talk to people privately when they want to talk to me, because I'm not there to you know to change things. I go to learn, too. So I find out everybody's desperate, looking for an answer. Why death? Don't matter how you beg God, how you use medicine, the pain's still on. 80% of the people in the planet have chronic pain all the time. That's why they, they open holistic uh, clinics all over the world because the doctors don't know what to give to the patient more. The pain's too bad. So why? Why is everybody happy? Of course not. That's why the majority of people in, in, in the planet do not believe in God or want to make believe they do not do not believe in God, but deep down they do, because everything is so perfect. Everything, no matter what, even the pain is perfect. Everything is so perfect in the universe. Everything is atoms. It's a composition. It's a number infinite of atoms, as a, in in numerous infinite type of atoms. happens to make the glass. happens to make our body like to make our souls, whatever. Everything is optimal, thanks to Einstein. He's the one that led us in, in this type of division of the, the, the matter. And uh, so we have to understand deeply. More you, you understand science, more you understand religion, more you want to understand our existence. We live forever. So whatever happened at the moment, look, I'm seven and eight. I know I'm not going to stay over here too long. Could live another 10 years, maybe, five, or tomorrow, or depends on if he calls me or not. But I know my time is getting closer. I feel so happy on that. And I feel so happy every minute, every hour of my life, I'm still writing, doing things, talking to people, trying to alleviate their pain. Tonight I'm going to have dinner in my apartment over in Copacabana, overlooking the beautiful beach called Copacabana Beach. I the Christ up in a rock 200, 200 feet high over there, illuminated at night, always a little cloud hanging on rock. I look at and say, thank you, God, for my friends. Now I'm going to talk to them. And always somebody comes to ask me questions, deep questions, because they're not happy. Because over here it's too hot, it's too, this and that. Could it be a war, could it be this, or the, 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 the sin is going to follow your head. So insecurity is guaranteed. Thing is guaranteed. In death, nobody can run from it. So you have to understand it. more you understand deeply, happier you become. Happy, happier you are that is a creator that loves us. Otherwise, you'll give us the free will. Okay, can even talk that he don't exist. He don't care less because he knows one day you're going to fall on his arms. Read the book. It's all there. I, I can guarantee it.
3: Okay?
1: <laughs> William, we, wanna, we have to wrap up here. Uh, some great thoughts, some great philosophy, and uh, some great wisdom, obviously. Uh, we cannot argue about God, the title of your book, God, the Realities of the Creator. Our creation is not a mysterious malfunction. It was planned by a supreme intelligence. William, tell us how to get your book.
2: Yes, sir.
6: Also, we are not supposed just to be born soft in life. Our life is an eternal evolution. A soul, because we are on the body, then we, our body, we lose the body, but we now become spirit. It's a less fluid body. Right. As good and solid mm-hmm. as the one we have right now, can you touch? And the other way of life, is there's no disease, there's no germs to, to affect our, uh, our body. Is a better world. Take my words.
1: William, we're going to have to wrap up. I've got to have a, yes, we've got to start another uh, radio show, live radio show. So uh, tell us how to get your book real quick.
6: Well, oh, you, you look the inside, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and also when you're there, you can see my other books, and uh, there's one called Christ to Wisdom and the Holy Prophet. It's on a 640 page. I wrote in about uh, 40, 40 nights because I like to write at
1: night. All right, William, I've got to leave here. Uh, thanks for being yes. with us on iUniverse Radio. Thank yes, you. Yes,
6: Thank you very much, and God bless everybody, okay? Thank you. Bye-bye. So
0: long. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages.
3: How to invest? Where to invest? Where to save? Where to get the right insurance? What to do about taxes? Should I relocate my business or ever purchase a property? That's where Go to My Radio Show comes in. Join host Chris Holt Tuesday afternoons at 1 Pacific, 3 Central, on GoToMyRadioShow.com. Choose the right financial professional and learn more about the products and services while learning the terminology and strategies used by these professionals. Go to My Radio Show is unbiased, and Chris Holt, your host, will ask the hard questions and take calls to help you connect with the right professional who can help you better handle your financial and business choices. Go to My Radio Show is not a financial services company and does not offer any financial advice, but we will help you make the right choice when it comes to planning your financial future. And most of all, Choosing the right program and the right professional for you. Go to my radio show with Chris Holt Tuesday afternoons at 1 Pacific, 3 Central on go
5: to myradioshow.com. Hey, moms, juggle your hats with our mom of many hats, Angie Mozilla, Friday afternoons at 5 Eastern, 4 Central on the Mom to Mom Network. Moms are always juggling their hats. Show and Angie, check out her website, azmomofminnyhats.com. She is a strong woman, she is powerful, she is wonderful, and she is valuable. Mom of Many Hats with Angie Mazillo Friday afternoons in 5 Eastern, 4 Central on the Mom to Mom Network. Welcome back
0: to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen.
1: The title of the book, Misunderstood. Healing Jason Sutter, and the author is Jay Sherfy, and Jay joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Jay. Hello, Steve. Good to How have are you. you. Well, this is going to be very fascinating. You have quite a tale here about a young man who has great mental power. Boy, wouldn't that be great if we all had that? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, anyway, we're going to talk about Jason Sutter, but let me read what you have written about him. It's the story of a boy misdiagnosed as psychotic who is really a gifted telepath. How he fights through the fog of medication, finds his abilities, makes friends, and discovers dangerous enemies. That's the story. You say, I've tried to make it realistic the telepathic abilities are as unusual as the magic of the Harry Potter series but I intend to introduce reasons based on science, why and how a person might like this exist. That really makes it real. I mean, this actually could happen.
4: That's my plan. That's where I want to go. Where did you so come up with? Look in that direction.
1: Where did you come up with this idea, Jay? Uh,
4: it's been floating around in my head for the last ten years or so, uh, and then I got serious. I've been writing for a long time, but finally I developed a writer's discipline and move forward from there. Uh, this whole idea came from uh, when I was a child, a child of the 60s. Counterculture was in full bloom. And one of the prevailing thoughts that were coming around at that time were the institutionalized people uh, were not being treated correctly. The wisdom at the time was uh, medication, keep them closed up, keep them away from society. And counterculture folks said, no, this is wrong. These people are special. Maybe there's something special about them. That's why they're having such a problem with connecting with people and hearing voices. And what voices are they hearing anyway? And so I just took that to the next step, um, to uh, to a place where uh, someone with telepathic ability who didn't know they had telepathic ability would start hearing voices and at that time, in the wisdom of that time, they would be diagnosed as psychotic. And that's where the character of Jason Sutter came from. And then beyond that, of course, how does he exist at all? And then if he exists, well, he's just a child. There must be adults like him somewhere. Where are they? And how does Jason get from being uh, basically over-drugged to getting back into life? and finding these other people. And that's the story. That's, that's where it's going to go.
1: And how old is he?
4: Uh, and he starts off at 10, but the story really gets going uh, and when, when he uh, turns 13.
1: 13, and his parents, uh, tell us about them.
4: Uh, in the prologue, they're introduced. Uh, basically, what we find out is that uh, there are communities of people, who have these enormous telepathic abilities. Uh, But they're also human and subject to human foibles. So during the uh, World War II, when uh, the United States was fighting wars overseas, there was a domestic war going on, a civil war of sorts, uh, among these communities. And uh, unfortunately, uh, Jason's father and mother were on the losing side. And with that being said, they had to protect Jason. And they did. And they sent him off uh, and basically hit him. And that's that's where the prologue ends. And we pick up Jason after two years of being in hiding uh, and what that really means, which we'll find out in the story, um, being misdiagnosed.
1: Kind of got a little tinge of Superman there. Yes, sort of. Sort of, yeah, but a human, more human aspect of it. But at the same time, Jason has incredible powers. When does he figure out that he has this kind of power?
4: Uh, in the story, what happens is uh, because of the drugs and his being 13 and not really knowing where he came from because his, his mind, basically, to protect him, his mind was wiped by his parents. Uh, so he's coming out of the drugs. He doesn't really know who he is or what he can do. He just has these voices from all the kids that are in this foster home who are themselves damaged children who are trying to get into, world, into the world themselves. Uh, and uh, he's hearing these voices, and he, he can't control it, and he wants it to stop. And he keeps pounding on the walls, and finally uh, Frank and Lydia, the foster parents in the house, have to do something with him because he can't be in the house. He's just causing too much trouble. So they uh, make sure he's drugged well. And they put him in the shed, a large tool shed in the back with a cot and a blanket, and they have him out there so that the house calms down. And when he's out there, uh, because of everything else that's going on in the house, uh, Lydia forgot to give him his meds. And then little by little, those kinds of misses, uh, Jason's mind starts to clear. And he finds out when he's further away from the house, he doesn't have a problem. When he gets close to the house he's receiving and that introduces the idea of proximity uh... to being able to read people's minds you you can't be everywhere all at once and read anybody's mind anywhere there's there's a limit here uh... and then the story develops from there as he comes out of the drugs and he finds out that he can't read uh... he can't do anything Uh, he's got to get back into school and he manages to to do that and the story goes on and on and on where he meets um... russ uh, one of the main characters who will become his best friend. Russ introduces him to all the comic books of the time, which I remember so well. I read all of them. Uh, you know, the Fantastic Four series, Spider-Man, Iron Man, the Hulk, all of them. And uh, Russ recognizes something in this kid, and they become really, really good friends, uh, along with Susie, who's also an inmate at the uh, at Frank and Lydia's house. And there's something really strange about Susie, and that uh, it turns out that Jason cannot read her mind, no matter how close he is to her. Uh, standing right next to her, she's not he's not receiving anything from her where he would be from regular human beings. And so that introduces the idea that uh, she's somehow connected. She's part of that strange community. And uh, as we go forward into the story, we'll find out exactly where and what that relationship's going to turn out to
1: be. Now, is there some thread of... Evolution, working in your story, Darwinism, anything like that?
4: Oh yeah, that's the whole point. Uh, this can't come out of nowhere. Uh, I'm I'm an electrical engineer by training, so uh, I want to understand where things come from. So how could this happen at all? Well, first of all, you need energy. Uh, well, what's the the engine in the human cell that keeps the energy going? And why do we eat? Well, you know, you, you've got mitochondria. Well. Working with that, what could have happened over a million years or so of evolution to basically boost those mitochondria so there's more of them, or they're somehow changed, they're different. They're not exactly human mitochondria. They're just able to pump out more energy. And with that, what would have happened over the next half million years where maybe a chromosome or two changed, uh, giving a small population of pre-humans the ability to survive better? And if if they're using their energy to survive better and to have a certain sense of this, knowing what other people are doing or what animals are doing, um, maybe they have to give up on having a lot of offspring because that takes more energy. Uh, and You can't do both. So I'm trying to balance that. I'm I'm very much into uh, Richard Dawkins' books. Richard Dawkins is a a really famous uh, uh, scientist into this whole notion of DNA as a replicator and that our bodies are basically uh, the uh, outer casings for the replicators, our DNA. And it's it's fascinating stuff, and I'm I'm going to introduce it into my storyline as I go forward.
1: Now, we also talk about deadly enemies. Tell us uh, some of the main characters there.
4: Well, there's going to be uh, two that I introduce in this first book, and I should say I'm hoping I can turn this into a series because I couldn't get the story fully developed in one book. Um, yes, there are several. Uh, it turns out that there are, there are communities of these sorts of people, and uh, there was a civil war, more totalitarian of the sides, the, the dictatorship won the day, and uh, they live in small communities, completely undetected by normal people, but they rule with an iron hand, and by ruling with an iron hand, they keep all the communities alive. Because, basically, the big fear in the community is that they're outnumbered a million to one. So even with all their extraordinary power, they could be easily overrun by the six billion other normal human beings on the planet. And they want to make sure they stay hidden. And that was what the Civil War was basically about. And I'll get into that eventually, uh, I hope. And uh, we'll discuss that. Uh, The uh, arena is the... uh, The head dictator and she's in bismarck north dakota she has immense power she can detect things uh, at a great distance Uh, she has uh, a a full panoply of of, um, telekinetic telepathic ability uh, which not everyone in the community shares everyone has some ability some level of ability beyond what would be considered normal human thought characteristics and things of that nature Uh, and So there's a a spectrum of people who can do different things uh, in the community. Uh, The more powerful ones are the ones who basically are in control.
1: And that's what the battle is, for control?
4: Yes, ultimately it'll be for control. What's going to happen is, uh, and I'm really excited to get into the second book, Uh, Jason's mom uh, basically wiped his mind, but of course she was taken. So what's happened to her? And we find out in the first book what's happened to her. She's in a psychiatric institution. Jason finds out she's alive. Uh, that's going to drive him to want to get back to her and to get into her head and try and fix her in some way, if he can, bring her back. Uh, so he's really, really hyped on that. And that becomes a real uh, modus vivendi for him, uh, moving through the first book. Uh, and then, of course, with the in the first book, I, I have to admit, I... I uh, Work really, really hard on making realistic relationships uh, among the children. Okay, among Russ and Susie and Jason. Um, Russ is really into comic books and things of that nature, and all of a sudden he just sort of lets it all slide because he suddenly realizes he's he's living in a, in a comic book with uh, with Jason as his friend, and uh, the story will proceed from there, and he will continue to be a major part. Uh, we find out. Uh, there is another family close to Jason in that community uh, that was missed. And they also have uh, telepathic ability. The mother and father not so much, but their daughter does. And Jason finds out. And uh, she's really she's a really little girl. Uh, she's kind of on her own with her ability. No one seems to know she has it. And uh, Jason becomes instrumental in protecting her from these larger communities that are trying to dominate and keep all rogue telepaths under their control or destroy them one way or the other.
1: So this effort to organize, is this a, something that's happening in, in the United States or is it a worldwide kind of effort?
4: Well, now you're getting into some really, really difficult areas. And <laughs> Basically what I've decided to do at this point, and I'm, I could change it, is that uh, in England and in Europe, going through the Middle Ages, uh, when humanity started to form cities and things like that, uh, it was harder and harder to hide. Uh, therefore, they were always outnumbered. They were always thought to be minions of the devil because they were doing these things with their minds. And they, and so they would be outnumbered and destroyed.
1: Yeah, the witches of the time.
4: Exactly, exactly. So what happened was, if they weren't destroyed, they went into hiding. Ultimately, they went into the ultimate hiding, and this would be during the time of Cromwell, uh, when he took over the uh, sovereignty in England. Uh, There were massive witch hunts at that time, and so they all left. They all went to the United States. Well, at that time, they all went to the New World, and the New World was nothing but frontier, and so they could easily just disappear. And so you At this point, my thinking is they are all in the United States and Canada. Uh, They are in massive cities where it's easy to hide in plain sight, or they're out in very, very small communities uh, among farming states and things like that, where again, where it's easy to hide. Uh, There may be one or two or three left around in the world. I'm just not sure where I'm going to put them yet.
1: So when we're around folks who we would say they have mental problems, they struggle, uh, who knows, we may be talking to a telepathic with great power.
4: That was the thinking in the 1960s, how that's actually played out historically. <laughs> I, I don't think so. But, um, it, it's always a possibility. I, I, don't, rule it, I don't rule anything out. Uh, it's amazing uh, how things develop over time uh, the DNA structures and the double helix and all that.
1: The title of the book, Misunderstood Healing, Jason Sutter. And the author is Jay Scherfee. Jay, tell us how to get your book.
4: Well, right now my book is on the web, on Barnes & Noble, on Amazon, uh, both in hardcover and uh, as, e- as an e-book. Uh, that's, that's how you can get it.
1: Well, we appreciate you being with us, telling us uh, some insights into your book. Thank you so much, Jay, for being with us on iUniverse Radio. Thank
4: you. It's been a lot of fun.
0: iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is produced by Toginet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.